0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of For Your Infilmation. Uh, We wanted to start off by thanking you for choosing our podcast, for giving us a listen. Uh, It's been a work in progress, but we've learned a lot. And uh, we just wanted to say, again, thanks for picking us. Thank you for picking us. I know there are so many other white guys talking about movie podcasts that you could listen to. But thanks for listening to ours. Yes, that is huge for us. We put a lot of work into this. And again, it's a work in progress. Um... We decided that we were going to do a podcast a while ago, but never really had anything to do it about. And in the spirit of not forcing anything, kind of waited for the right time. And uh, it came to our attention, I don't remember exactly what movie it was or what we were talking about, but that I hadn't seen several movies that you had just kind of assumed that I had seen over the years. Well, because to be honest with you, John, everyone assumes that people have seen several movies like uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, Die Hard. All, all these other kinds of movies. Everyone assumes that everyone's seen those movies or at least has a working knowledge of those. And you, my boy, have somehow just avoided that.
1: And I have, I have no the,
0: idea how. I have escaped the social contract of pop culture. Like I I somehow managed to skirt around knowing these things and seeing these things. And I guess that kind of made us an ideal pairing for doing a podcast like this. Um Clearly, I haven't seen a lot of movies. Movies have never really been my thing. Like, I've had a few that I've liked, but I've never just, like, watched movies just for fun, necessarily. There's a lot that I'm missing out of my canon of knowledge. Um, Zach, though, you've got a different story. Yeah, um, so I will. I refer to myself as a film school dropout. Um, I went to school for film. Uh, I drank a lot, and I fucked up, and now I'm here. So I have all of this knowledge that I paid for, and I have no use for So I might as well hand it off to you guys and to John for free every week. You've got to bloom where you're planted. Um, I think we all have had situations like that in our lives. And we just happen to make a, a fun little podcast about it. Uh, one thing that I guess I do bring to the table is a uh, working knowledge of booze. John is a booze master. I have to tell you guys, I have had Long Islands in a lot of states. A lot of states... Don't know how to fucking make a Long Island. I'm looking at you, Virginia. Um, but I will tell you, the best Long Island I've ever had was in John's dorm room. He he is a master. That he he He's almost an idiot savant for this kind of thing. I have no idea how he knows how to do this. You Probably say almost. Go ahead. I was going to say, you say almost a savant. I said an idiot savant. Oh, I see. Almost an idiot savant. Almost is the operative word there, and I don't know if I agree with almost. (laughs) Okay, if you accept yourself as an idiot savant, I will let you have that title, claim it, let it be your own. Anyway, John is very good at making booze, and very good at making booze for special occasions, so John, why don't you tell him what we've uh, whipped up for this little podcast here? Well, uh, we've got a cocktail for every movie. Um, In the future, it might go to other things. We may have, like, spirit suggestions or, like, a a wine to go with it. But in the meantime, we're sticking to cocktails because it's something that you can do as an original art form in some ways. And you can put your own Mm -hmm. spin on uh, And something that we can have going with the theme of the movie, kind of do, like, our own little fun Etsy project with the booze, which is just way more fun than most Etsy projects. So you know we're trying to make it our own we're trying to put something out there that you can take with you away from this podcast now we will say please uh make this drink if you're gonna watch this movie before the podcast drink it while you're listening to the podcast if you are at home please do not drink and drive and go to work while listening to this podcast agreed um drink responsibly we'll put that on every episode but drink responsibly have fun with it um This podcast has been a fresh thing for us. We have not actually done anything like this before, and we really wanted to go out on a limb, give it a good, honest try, and we've run into some challenges along the way. Um, (laughs) Yeah. The the technical side has been pretty difficult. Uh, Recording from coast to coast, uh, I'm in Central California, and Zach is in Pennsylvania. Yes. um, And in doing that, we have to record a phone call. And so... I'm just going to come out and say it, I messed up the file for our actual first episode, which, um, we're probably going to come back around to doing another time anyway. But, what happened was I was editing it, and, like, my computer was, like, making a bunch of copies of the file, and then so I started deleting those copies of the file, and I accidentally deleted the file with the, uh, the edited, the edited version of it, the original version, um, and of course, I can't go back and re-record a phone call, so it was just gone. Yeah. And it's not the first time we've had problems. I mean, between computer problems and microphone problems and just about everything kind of problem, you'll see as you hopefully listen to the first few episodes how we're getting better and we're getting there to where we want to be. And hopefully we'll be able to put out a, like a product that's like easy to listen to and fun to listen to at the same time. And uh, that's just the learning curve, I guess. We're, we're trying to get there. We're trying to get better. So bear with us and uh, we promise you won't be disappointed for sticking with us. Please stick with us. We have a lot of knowledge, a lot of fun stuff prepared for you guys. Um, I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about our Halloween spectacular. We're going to be dropping a new episode every Monday in October on a different Dracula movie. All the way from the original 1929 Dracula all the way up until, uh, I don't know, not Twilight for sure. Oh, no, never Twilight. No, I, I think we're gonna need, uh, the cocktail for that episode would just be, um, a bottle of bourbon, mm. and please drink this the whole way through, like, just don't stop. If you run out of bourbon, go buy more bourbon. Well, don't drive yourself to go get more bourbon. Ah, th- get an Uber. Get an Uber. Ooh, man, if you're already drunk and you're having an Uber take you back to the liquor store, you know what, you're a fun guy, I like you. Anyway, um... Just make sure you tell the Uber driver about the podcast. Yeah, to, listen to the podcast while you're in there. That won't be super annoying. Can we listen to my friend's podcast while you drive me?
1: No,
0: so I, to, hey to hey the man, I, I got a, I got a thing on my phone. I, I just really need you to like b- listen <laughs> listen to it for a second. Plug no, this plug no, in your, No, your no, 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 for... no. Let me let let me on the Bluetooth. I have the new iPhone and it doesn't have. A headphone jack, so you have to let me on your Bluetooth. I can't wait to hear stories from listeners if we ever have listeners on that particular circumstance. Oh man, you know someone's going to be a piece of shit that listens to our podcast. I can't wait. I mean, please. I'm a piece of shit, and I already listen to our podcast. You have to please bring your piece of shit friends, and uh, and please enjoy our very first episode on Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. We hope you guys enjoy it and maestro cue the music ladies and gentlemen live from coast to coast we proudly present for your infilmation with zach and john inflammation. i'm zach i'm john all right and today we are going to go further down this rabbit hole of j- movies john has never seen and cover a movie that i loved so very much in my youth and much like everything from your youth you find out it was shit later nick and Nora's infinite playlist was it really that bad do, do you think as an adult that this movie is really that bad Um, it definitely raised a lot more questions watching it from a uh, more critical standpoint and from a I'm an adult now standpoint. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that, but it's a lot of, I don't know, just, well, let's start here. Did you like the movie? I would say that I did like this movie. Um, it reminds me of... Mostly other Michael Sarah movies that I've seen, but I guess this was before most of his other work that we think of today. So I don't know if this established an archetype or if he's just being a character actor, and we'll we'll dive deep into that. But uh, yeah, I'd say that I like the movie. It's like a almost a coming of age story, almost like a I don't want to say a teen drama. I'm not even really sure how old they are in this movie. Um, they are high school age, I believe they are juniors or seniors in this movie. Okay, because Caroline is drinking in a bar. Yes, and we... Let's discuss that. That, that. that was my first question about this movie is... Where the hell are the parents... Uh, you know what, man? I don't know. Maybe this is another one of those like kids living without parents type things that you get in movies sometimes. I, I mean, sometimes it's funny like in Home Alone when the parents are there and other times it's not. Uh, I, I, for whatever reason, the movie that comes to mind is Monster House. Where the hell are these kids' parents? Yeah, this movie especially because, okay, so it would. I think it would be different if these kids lived in New York City, but no, they live in New Jersey and are traveling to New York City To stay there until fucking seven in the morning? Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. Every time you talk about New York, I'm going to do that. Every time. Okay. I, I, I enjoy this deep bass voice that you were doing. But, okay, let's start chronologically here. And throughout this, I will just ask, where the hell are the parents? Okay, so, um, the picture opens, uh, Columbia Pictures, their iconic logo. I don't know why I always make a point to notice that, but, like, Columbia's got the, uh, there's a name for her. I don't know if it's, like, Greek mythology or something. Uh, you got the MGM Lion. Uh, you got the Walden Media Skipping Stone. You got the, I I don't know, Lucasfilm. You got the, um, Disney Sparkles. Oh, yeah, that castle. That pristine white German castle. Hmm, Illusion? Illusion. Um... Yeah, so it opens up Columbia Pictures. Uh, the Speed of Sound by Chris Bell is the first thing that you hear. And for me, that immediately set a tone that this is going to be a very music and soundtrack heavy story. That it's going yeah. to, no surprises from the title, I guess, but that music is going to play a really, really big part in this movie. Yes, the, the music and I think the soundtrack is the best part of this movie, whereas it it does a very good job of setting the tone of the movie most of the time. I agree. And I think it really sets a, um, it kind of sets the place to like a, a certain group of people in a certain point in time and what they were listening to, what their lives sounded like, you know, that's something that I kind of think about like, When I listen to, I don't know, uh, music from the 60s or 70s, and we have an idea of what it was like back then to be, like, young and your life is your experiences so far, and those are limited. So music is huge, and it's always seems to have been that way for people. And when you look at it through someone else's eyes is one thing, but when you hear it through someone else's ears, it adds a new dimension, I think. Mm -hmm. And this really, really made me think about that a little harder. And I hadn't even really thought about that before. But, looking at this and having kind of been there, and when was this released two thousand eight I was there i I knew things. I was a person, I wasn't like a like a screaming baby or anything like that, so like I remember what that was like a little bit. I have a frame of reference, and then having it presented back to me artistically was a very unique experience yeah it and I was noticing that while i while I was watching this opening scene in particular, it's it's so two thousands. It hurts. Like it really is, and because things have just progressed so much, especially like on the music side of things, like this movie feels like it's in a completely different era, and it's not. It really isn't. This is what uh, eleven years ago when it was released. So it, it presumably yeah. takes place that year or a couple of years before, sometime between two thousand six and two thousand eight. Just watching him make a mix CD and like making his own cover art. For his, for his long lost love, was just oh, it just hurt. I was like, oof. Absolutely. It's not even like that anymore. Like, because I've got to be honest, I was that kid. I would make mixtapes. I would make my own cover art for them. Now, like, I think I'm doing good if I come up with some sort of clever Spotify playlist name. Like, you know what? there's no way in hell I would do any of this anymore. You know what is ironic, though, is that the movie is called Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. And it kind of centers around him making these mixtapes. But nowadays, it would be far more fitting for him to be making a playlist. Whereas back then, it seems to have been more fitting for him to be making a mixtape or a mixed CD or whatever. But it's called Infinite Playlist. I guess I didn't think about that. It's just because mixtape, playlist, whatever. But um, anyway. It's a blast to the past. It's a blast to the past because, I mean, I guess people still make playlists. Do kids still make playlists? I think so. I mean, uh, I don't really know. I was never really the kind of person to make a mixtape anyway, mostly because I didn't have, like I knew what I liked, but the stuff that I liked wasn't something that I would like associate with people or places or things. And like, I know you would make that type of stuff and you would just put it together and be like, John, you got to listen to this. And that's where like half of my early music came from. Honestly, it was like the stuff that you passed along to me on your like USB drive.
1: Oh no.
0: Yeah. So weird stuff, but some gold, some gold was in there. Some gold was in there. And I still listen to some of that stuff. Um, what, what was it that I was really excited about? Probably like M- Modest Mouse. And oh, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been one week. Yeah, it was. There's so much more to that album than that song. And I feel like people don't give it enough of a chance. Uh, light so, Up My Room. Light Up My Room is a beautiful song. I'll be that girl. Like just so many good songs on this album. And no one, no one gives it a chance. As relevant as it is to talk about music like this, I think we need to start progressing through the film a little more.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. So, uh, it opens on Michael Sarah in his room. He's making a call, obviously to his ex. Uh, that, the phones in this movie—that's mm-hmm. another one of those things that really is just a place in time. And haven't been there and lived that and had one of those bad boys. That—that that is a, a touch. Looking back on it, a decade after the fact. Yeah, Tris uh the his ex-girlfriend I noticed later in the film she has a razor a oh. motor razor that has like budget beja- like bejazzled jewels on it and I'm just like where how did we where did we go from here could you even go back to a flip phone like that you know what I hope that I can because now I want to <laughs> now you want to are you gonna are you gonna bejewel it are you gonna bejazzle your phone? uh probably i'm also really liking how you're saying vajazel and i don't know if you realize what vajazling is but google it later if you're over 18 i know exactly what vajazling is and i meant what i said noted so <laughs> uh the credit sequence is I almost want to say typical of movies from this time period. It's another one of those things that sets a time in place. You got like the the paper graphic art aesthetic thing. Uh, I saw this in Napoleon Dynamite. I saw this in 500 Days of Summer. I saw this in a couple of other films like that, specifically like you look at films like 500 Days of Summer. Um, Juno. Juno is you know, another one. I haven't seen it, but I want to see it. And now I've got a point of reference. That's also a Michael Cera film, right? Michael Cera is also in that movie, yes. Okay, so more Michael Sarah. We're going to have, like, a Sarathon. That sounds like a great dinosaur, a Sarathon. A Sarathon?
1: Yeah. Nice, um, I'm a Sarathon, bro. Um. i <laughs> creature. So,
0: so, moving on from the, the title credit scene, um, going to the school, um, I guess it's a Catholic school. Later on in the film, I saw them, or heard them call it Sacred Heart, which kind of tells me it's a Catholic school. Yeah, um, it's definitely a Catholic school. But, but they don't explicitly say hmm? they, don't, they don't say specifically that it is a Catholic school, but I think it has to be a Catholic school, or it has to be like an Aztec shaman school, because that's the only other place in time where I know people took Sacred Heart literally, and so mm-hmm. I'm just picturing these kids rolling into a music class with their Aztec death whistles and just going, ah! <laughs> and, you know, now that I think about it, they also make note that Nora's Jewish later. Not that yeah. that means anything, but now I'm wondering, is it a Jewish school? No, it is an Aztec shaman school. It's an Aztec shaman school. Okay. Yeah, of course. That See? There we go. We cleared something up. Okay. <laughs> Sacred art for um, Aztec <laughs> girls. Yes. Um, or the Aztec arts, at least. Because, again, you can be Jewish and still become an Aztec shaman, allegedly allegedly. Okay. And um this is another point I wanted to talk about is sorry, this whole opening scene like really rung some bells for me and like set off some shit. Um Did you feel like Nick's um segment in this opening thing was written a lot better than Nora's cuz I feel like it was. I think so and I'm not completely certain if this is a movie about Nick because doing a little bit of research into the book, because this is based on a novel, Mm -hmm. um, it alternates perspectives. I didn't read it, but I read into it a little bit, did a little bit of research. So I think that the film is more of a Nick story that is Nora-centered than a Nick and Nora story, Mm. which kind of makes sense that they would expound on Him a little more because the whole part that his ex plays in it and his friends play in it and Nora specifically plays in it, it all kind of stems from here where we figure out who his ex is and we figure out what kind of person he's going to be and how Nora will play into that. And then we meet his friends in like the post opening scene. I I don't know how to say that, but there's like him alone. There's the school, which is like, I guess, a prelude to how they're going to meet up later. And then the friends come in and kind of bust up the party. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They roll up in this van. I love the van. I want to live in that van. And it reminds me of the good old days, you know, like the the Mm -hmm. junior year of high school days. And it kind of makes me nostalgic for the time where, really, the van, his car, everything in his life kind of makes me nostalgic for the time where, like, your friends were the only good thing that you had. All your stuff was shitty except your friends. And all their stuff was shitty. But for some reason, when you brought it all together, it seemed... Still shitty, but you had fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. I guess your Yugo would have been the um the Volvo. Oh yeah, because that one blew up. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh man, the Volvo. Love those European cars. Yeah. Um I had never heard of a Yugo until this movie. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like an Eastern European thing, I think. Yeah. They they were not they did not sell well. No, states. no, not at all. It's got like a lawnmower engine in it. Yes. Nothing like a, I, I don't know, like a Soviet tractor, but that's way too reliable. <laughs> the show. So this is another one of those things that really resonated with me. And maybe it's because I'm the kind of person that this movie was targeted toward a little bit, but maybe it's also just happenstance. I remember being that guy on the stage not really having any idea of what I was doing and seeing your friends or people you know in the crowd and like then you're not thinking about what you're doing anymore you're thinking about them and then you start messing up you're like oh shit gotta, gotta pay attention and that just took me back to plan nine uh, no, no relation to the Ed Wood movies that was the name of a, a band that I was in and Zach was kind of hanging around I guess you could call him uh, a manager were you a manager? I was the fifth Beatle. So they are playing with a drum machine, which I saw way, way, way too many bands do in this era. Like, just a drum machine you find at Goodwill, I guess. Yeah. I never saw one at Goodwill, but I definitely saw other people find them at Goodwill and use them in their shitty bands. You, you know, know what, man? Completely Happy... stick. Having spent a bit of time in a DIY scene like that, I think that the drum machine would have been the smallest deal. Like like you said, people have done this. It's not that big a deal. And people were giving them a hard time for that drum machine. Throughout the whole movie. I guess in New York, it's not cool to have a drum machine. I, New York City, a dick to drum machines. A dick to drum machines. So they meet, uh, accidentally, kind of. It seems like immediately Nora has a little bit of a thing for Nick, even though he doesn't really know that she exists yet. And then it's she so tries to do... Sad. He's so sad. Yeah, the saddest. The saddest sad boy in the jerk-offs, I guess that's the band name. Oh, yeah, also come jerk-offs. to find out, in the book, they refer to their genre as queercore? That doesn't seem yeah. like a term that's aged very well. Um, I mean, I don't know if it hasn't aged well. I just think that... Um... It, the gay scene does not need its own musical scene anymore and that's progress mm, okay that's a better perspective that's that's a better perspective so um plays based in the band sees nora after the show um she's like hey pretend to be my boyfriend for five minutes and not knowing that he was tris's ex-boyfriend and he can't really get over that once he realizes what's happened yes because it's, uh she immediately comes up and is jealous. I guess there's really, I, I, I see no motive here. You mean motive for what Triss is doing? Yeah, Triss is obviously jealous that Nora might take Nick away from her, and I really don't see the motivation there other than she's a bitch. Uh, yeah, she's playing the game. Don't hate the player. You know, what? in this case, I'm gonna say hate the player. She's a total player, bitch. She's just being so mean. There no are reason. there are few characters in movies that I cannot stand to look at because of what they do. She is one of them. She is one of those people that just stressed me out the entire movie because of how much I disliked her character. And like they don't do her any favors. Like I I like a little bit of sympathy. With my villains, but there was no sympathy here. Like, she was just mean the whole time. Just kind of a selfish control freak who uses other people to get their kicks, just to be entertained. And uh, we've all met people like that. So it really shouldn't come as a surprise to me when I see this, but, like, uh, it's somehow worse seeing it on the screen. Because it it could be anything. They could have made it anything and they picked this. And maybe that's why it's just to evoke the response. Exactly. So that leads me to a new point. Um, Immediately after this, Caroline becomes a major plot point in that she gets inebriated and has to be carried around the whole night. And I don't think that she does a very good job representing what it's like to be drunk and specifically drunk and young. So would you say that on the whole, the acting in this movie is good? I would say it's spotty. Caroline especially, because I never once believed that she was drunk. Right, and maybe that's the point. Maybe being young and drinking—I don't really know how that worked for them, but that's uh, people have their ways. Maybe they like play it up to be more than it is, and so it's more of a game or an act rather than being actually drunk. But I—I I don't know if I go that far because I mean, she's throw. We'll get to the throw up later, but like, I have a question more so for you because you've been there, you've been an actor you've been to school, you've been a little bit of film school, and you've seen some stuff. When does acting stop being good or bad and start being fitting? Like, does the acting in this play into the way that the movie and the characters and the time and place works, or is it just not great most of the time? It's, I would say it's just not great, but it is indicative of, like, a lot of those movies that came out in this time. Where it wasn't necessarily about the acting, it was more about what you're doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: As, I, as I tend to see, she's being, she's personifying being a drunk person as opposed to being, oh, this is my character. She does this a lot. What What does she do when she gets drunk? And they do a little bit of that, but a lot of her character comes from other people talking about her. Hmm. which I guess in a weird way, you could think like, I guess that's how high school is like you you knew someone who got drunk all the time, or you heard stories about people getting drunk all the time. Mm -hmm. But you never like quite experienced it or knew what that was like, right? So I guess if you want to look at it that way, you could, but I'm gonna go ahead and say, um, just poor acting choices, or maybe they picked the wrong edits. Because I also, while reading into this movie, found out that they edit it as it's going. Mm. Which also, to me, leaves more room for continuity errors. And I only noticed one here. And we'll talk about it later. Okay. Now, I understand where you're coming from with Caroline. And I think that that's... A pretty good way of looking at it and in other parts of the movie i feel like specifically with the interactions of nick and nora like i can look at it and say that doesn't seem like good acting that doesn't seem hollywood but that's kind of the point right like they're they're awkward people they're young people who clearly want to be cool for each other or want to be relatable for each other and are not making it happen and it's kind of a beautiful simplicity thing that we can touch on later on it's a major theme to me it seemed to be a major theme throughout the rest of the film yeah okay so caroline gets lost nick and nora have this small little fight they find out that she's missing and they go they go on this quest you say small fight i say throat punch she definitely did punch him in the throat and I actually I think that's the best bit of acting and the best bit of chemistry in the movie is when they have this spat. Like it it seems so real to me. Yes, it definitely seems like an altercation between people who never fight. Yes. And I'm I'm that kind of person. I'm a very non-confrontational person. And yeah. So when I have to argue with someone it comes out very much like that. Mm-hmm. where you do end up saying, you just both keep end up saying things you don't actually mean to each other. Right. And that's what it came off to me as. And then she does punch him in the throat, which I'm like, that might've been too far. Throat punch <laughs> fun for the whole family. So car scenes, they're moving around a lot. I noticed that it was kind of hard to track where they were going on their quest to see where's fluffy. Um, some of these car scenes looked a little Roxbury esque. I haven't seen that movie, but I know the meme. And they're just kind of, you know, bobbing around in the car to the music, and it's kind of fun. I don't know if it was an intentional callback or what, but they... I don't believe so. There's a lot of it. hmm I would say, like, maybe 20% of the movie takes place in that car. Yes. It either takes place in... Either in a venue somewhere or in the car. Right. And I think that that's maybe what made this movie so cheap to make. But at the same time... And I found this out later through my research. This movie was actually filmed on location in New York City. I feel like a lot of movies are, though, right? (laughs) Well, a lot of the time what you end up getting is written by New Yorkers, um, portrayed by New Yorkers, filmed in L.A. New York. York. (laughs) With some, you know, tracking shots and some, you know, backdrop shots shot in New York City. Okay. Okay. And you don't think that this was like that? This was. No, no, no. I, I know for a fact it wasn't. It was oh, okay. all on location in New York City. Like these, all these uh, venues they go to are real, like uh, Bowery Ballroom and um, Brooklyn Pool. Those are real venues that you can go to. I don't, think, I don't think either one of them are closed. Okay, maybe we should go. Maybe we should put a spray bottle full of disinfectant in the car, just like he did. So that when people try to hop in our car like a bunch of cabbies, we can Which, just take care of the problem right then and there. By the way, I don't know if you caught it, but that was Seth Meyers and the uh, screenwriter. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. I, I'm not good at picking things like that out, because I don't usually like research who the... Uh, I don't want to say producers, screenwriters, those types of people. Um, I don't know who they are until after the fact. Yeah, well, I didn't know that until I read it. I knew it was um, Seth Meyers, but I didn't know who the girl was. Mm -hmm. So I found out later that's the screenwriter. I keep wanting to call this band Fluffernutter. Fluffernutter. (laughs) I don't know why. Nick and Nora and the search for Fluffernutter. You know what? I could see Michael Sarah playing in that movie as well. Yeah. Any Do you need an awkward teen in any movie? Michael Sarah. He's 24. <laughs> um, but moving along in the story, go ahead, John. Well, uh, they're driving around a whole bunch of places. Uh, It kind of cuts between them and the band and Caroline because she wakes up in the back of the van and thinks something terrible has happened to her. And depending on how you look at it, it, something terrible kind of is happening to her. But um, she ends up making it to the bus station. Uh, This is kind of a funny scene where they diverge paths and they don't really concern themselves with Caroline anymore as she tries to get a bus ticket with a dollar and eat some guy's turkey sandwich. And then blows chunks and drops her bone in the toilet and it just there's a lot of stuff here that's like great album material like i feel like the the term that Nora uses fistful of assholes is a great album name the cover art could be that one shot of the toilet with her hand sticking in it uh maybe Mm -hmm. fluffer and utter could be the band name yes also in this scene how did that phone work after she pulled it out of the vomit there's no way Nokia. Those old phones, if you even drop them on the wrong corner, they, they're they done. It's a Nokia for sure. I I guess so, man. Maybe she has a, one of those waterproof ones because she does this a lot. You know what? That's a good point, and that would be a good investment for her. So <laughs> once they diverge from Caroline, we explore Nora's side a little bit more. This introduces Tall. once they get to the first venue where they think where Fluffy's going to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the Jonas brother looking lanky i don't know man I, i'm I'm looking for adjectives and coming up short, but this guy uh, he's kind of yeah he's kind of a dick um yeah, not tr- like a a dick. yeah, all the exes in this movies are dicks, and it's just clearly written into the story there's no interpretation they're not good people, they don't do good things um i don't i don't I don't know why why do these people end up with those types of people? Is that just a part of developing the character? Or is that just something that people want to see in movies? Do they like to have a villain? I guess so. I mean, like, I personally, I believe that both uh, Tish and Tall are assholes in this movie to make Nick and Nora both look better. Because when you look at them separately and you take them out of the equation, they're also kind of dicks. Like, both of them are. Yeah, I guess maybe it comes from a better place with them, or maybe it's unintentional or just the rawness of their personality coming out instead of trying to just play people and get stuff from them. Yeah, like, they're just, they're the kind of dicks that you want to be around where it's like, they're, they're assholes, but they mean well. I guess so uh, I guess is what I'm trying to say
1: mm-hmm. but
0: I, I definitely noticed more on this like how like rude both of them are especially towards each other until about midway through the movie. Maybe it's a New York thing by proxy a New Jersey thing because they're from New Jersey which is like where most people in New York come from right Um no no one in New Jersey has any redeeming qualities and maybe that's why I don't like them. Mm. all right it's all coming together now we're we're getting a we're getting a real real insider view
1: on <laughs> into this. jersey
0: so the search continues uh they leave that venue they're trying to find the new one as they're going um nora goes into the store i guess all these stores are just open late is that a new york thing like yes. all these bodegas i guess you could call them they're yeah, just the, open forever. Bodeg- bodegas are usually open 24 hours. Interesting. Well, oh, so they have that conversation. Uh, Tr- Tris, Tish, Tris, I-, I don't know. We all know who we're talking about. Um, has this conversation with her. Kind of confirms our suspicions about how she's just kind of playing Nick to get what she wants. Just to have a, a power play, I guess. Yeah, um, because for whatever reason, she can't let Nora have this. No, absolutely not. And again, with the bones, she's flashing that bone around.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, meanwhile, the guys are outside having a heart to heart or like a, like a hot dog to hot dog moment, yeah. uh, which uh, is fitting considering the circumstances and the people involved. But, uh, he it, it talks about the concept of like taking it easy and the whole Beatles, I want to hold your hand thing. And I think that that is, uh, that's important for everybody. And that's a good lesson to take away from this. But if you're looking for a moral in a story like this, but for him specifically helps him as he finds himself in these next few circumstances, and he really reevaluates that it really should just be about having a good time having fun with someone that I think I care about, and it's not about, oh well, I'm in love with this person, and I was with them for however long, and I wanted to keep going because that's how love works, like no, it's not you're young, have fun, you know exactly like it's they said no one wants to love you for a hundred years like that's that's not what anyone wants this like I guess that's kind of the movie's message is this hopeless romantic thing is stupid it kind of is you gotta bloom where you're planted Mm -hmm. and i think that they do a good job of that in the end which we will of course cover uh here in a little bit so andy samberg cameos or is this a debut for him this is a cameo because he was on snl at the time oh right i forgot about the whole snl thing Mm-hmm. Lonely Island. I'm on a boat, and also a rapist in this movie. Or yeah, whatever. it would seem so. A dog rapist, which might be the worst kind. mm Yeah, sure. You, you've betrayed the trust of such a pure animal. It's like in Harry Potter, where they drink the unicorn blood, except way worse. Well, I mean, I can get down with unicorn blood drinking, because if you're going to kill a unicorn, you might as well use everything in the unicorn. We use every part of the unicorn. Yes, exactly. And then okay, so let's move on in the story. Okay, yeah. So he goes around, they're looking for um Caroline. They're looking for Caroline, they go to the church, they meet the hobo, they go to Midnight Ass. Midnight Ass, yes, the all holiday review. <laughs> so what is that? Is that a burlesque? Is that is that a, a drag club? It's is, a drag show. Okay, so it's like a like a permanent establishment then. Yes. Okay. I see. Uh, it's a good band name, too. Midnight Ass. Midnight Ass. I'm just going to say everything that's a good band name because of the context. Midnight Ass. And this okay. is where they don't find... Well, I guess they do find Caroline there. But they split their separate ways. And Tris is at the Yugo. And he gets out. And he thinks he's going to, like, you know give her the one-two and be like, hey, I'm done with this, but he doesn't. They get in the car together. She starts putting her feet all over his face. Which might allude to he has a feet thing, maybe? You know what? Maybe. I don't think this is the only time in the movie where feet are a thing, but maybe I'm wrong. I think it's just stained by Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) But um, I've never screamed internally at a movie more than I did in this scene, and... I think it was funny. The, the whole, you guys got a lot of mixed signals recently thing. Like, yeah, he's just putting your toes in your nose. Well, up until this point, she wanted nothing to do with them. Yeah. But it is mixed signals. It, it, you know what? It's a power play. You got to reel him back in just to let him back out. I get that that's her game. Doesn't mean I like it anymore. And it doesn't mean that I didn't scream internally for minutes at a time. Just how awkward this scene was. Right. And then we flip over to the other side where we're going to Nora and she meets back up with Tal, um, who is for sure using her for her connections that we learn about later. His band name is Oz Royale And considering his Nick Jonas kind of thing, I really think Shalomas Brothers would have been a better band Shalomus Brothers. Shalomus Brothers. I think Disney, Jonas Brothers were owned by Disney at the time and they would have 100% sued. Well, and knowing Disney's past. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, he's just using her for her, um, connections, which, and then he tries to get her to get rid of a, rid of a tab. Oh, her, yeah, yeah. Which is just the icing on the cake, like, dude, fuck you. Yeah, that's like, like a major, though. <laughs> yeah, like, come on, you di- it looked like you weren't even drinking anything, like, what What did you get, like, a couple sodas? Yeah. It doesn't even matter what you get. If you have a girlfriend, you're already kind of using her a little bit because her dad is a successful producer, I think. And she is also into music. So, hey, can you, like, promote my band to your dad? That's fine, I guess. But the way you go about it, man, is you're just being a dick. And then you get her to do something like this. You're really asking her to flex for you. It's a major flex. And it's... uh fly. This guy has the most punchable face I think I've ever seen. Like, I just want to punch him. Agreed. Again, they really did a job with the exes in this movie, and I guess they're the only real villains. And man, it feels good to hate them. Yeah, for real. Especially so, later on. Then we get to the parking lot scene, which I... Cannot separate myself from that one rat in the cheese video that circulated the internet years and years ago because you know what she looks a little bit like the rat. She does look a little bit like the rat.
1: And and that song doing comes on, kind
0: of the same thing. And she is one hundred percent doing the same thing, and Michael Sarah is making the same face as the cheese. <laughs> Just like, what is going on? Why? No, please. And. I guess it's like that maybe that's why he was into it in the first place was like she's a little wild a little crazy and like yeah she'll hurt you but you come right back I don't know like uh, some kind of thing that people are into but he kind of maybe has his aha moment and remembers the hold your hand thing you know no one wants to be with you for 100 years and clearly she doesn't so if I'm not happy why should I be here and she leaves her in a fucking parking lot (laughs) in the middle of New York City at night and she's 17 Presumably, again, it's really kind of hard to place the ages on these people. Yeah, because they could be sixteen. I don't know. They could be sixteen. They could be twenty-one. I don't know. Because just because they're talking about going to college doesn't mean they're sixteen years old. That's true. I just, uh, I guess, the assumption there is that because she was at school in the opening shot and they're talking about going to college, no, I would that's assume true. they are in like school. Seventeen though. or eighteen. They are actively in school. Yes. So then he meets back up with Nora. At the diner. After apologizing to her on the phone, it's cute, whatever. Kind of show phone, Another thing that uh, if, a, if a Gen Z was watching this would not understand, I guess.
1: No, Do they don't know at what
0: phones are? Probably not. Uh, no, 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 no. no. Uh, the, the most they might understand is getting like a card for your track phone. The, not it'd be so like big. that, but with quarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're a really fancy, you could get the international call card, and I'm pretty sure you could use those on payphones sometimes. So they meet up, and it's a nice scene. This is, like, where we kind of release the baggage of before and can just focus on the now, and it's kind of like, uh, like an exploration of innocence in finding someone that likes you as much as you want to like them. And it's only four in the morning. I mean, those are the best kind of nights. Yeah, exactly. It's only four in the morning. Why not? Let's go to my dad's music studio. Where she can drive stick like a pro, quote-unquote. And absolutely destroy this poor kid's car and I-, I liked one line that was in there that i guess was supposed to have a double meaning he was like you know this car it always breaks and i fix her up again mm-hmm. like i guess he's i guess like that's supposed to be like a, oh even though i'm broken he'll fix me no 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 Or maybe he's talking about himself maybe maybe he is talking about himself so they go inside of electric lady studios and i was not expecting that having not known this going in Mm -hmm. that's pretty awesome to have a scene inside electric lady studios and i expect they shot in the same place Uh, that is electric lady studios right yes it is see it makes sense it's a columbia picture and i think columbia records has an association with that studio because there's a it bunch is. of bands on the columbia label that also recorded there like uh acdc bob dylan uh, a couple others hendrix it's hendrix's studio it is so they do that they had this really cute talk about being puzzle pieces in the world and i've I love this scene. This is this is where I think they sell it the best. It is. It's genuine and it's personal and it's got a beautiful vulnerability about it. It does. And it's like, you know, it's kind of almost like a let's start over again. Let's pretend like I didn't ask you to be my boyfriend for five minutes. Let's pretend like I wasn't an asshole the whole night. You know, it's it's very it's very nice and it sets the tone for the end of the movie. It is, which is of course, them finding fluffy. They have their final um, close out, I guess, where the X's aren't in the picture anymore, and they can just kind of be a thing, and they go down the escalator together onto the subway to eternal love and happiness. Yep, just the tunnel of love. I want to talk about that final like showdown with the X's, though. Yeah. Do you feel like they actually like solve their problem here? Because I I don't feel like they did, and I felt like it was kind of a cop-out. Because Nick almost tries to fight tall, but he doesn't. And Tris is yelling at him, and he says nothing. They just go, they just start holding hands. It's like, our relationship speaks for itself. We're done with you. And it's like, that's not a solution. And as a matter of fact, that's just as toxic. Like, look, I have a new boyfriend, girlfriend. I don't need you. It's like, You, I see where you're coming from. And I think that in the context of them being, well, given the benefit of the doubt, and say 18 years old, just because of the whole couch thing. Think about, like, it's Electric Lady Studios. Angus Young hanging out in there. Think about what he did on that couch. Yeah. There's probably definitely some hepatitis C on there. At least. You know what? Again, on a tangent about the couch. But what happened? I'm not completely clear on what happened. And maybe we're not supposed to be, maybe that's a fill in the blank, (laughs) fill Um, in the blank. I think it's supposed to be fill in the blank. She has an orgasm or whatever, which apparently she's never had one.
1: Right. Um,
0: Given how they like looked when they panned back, I, I, not to be gross, but I guess he fingered her. I don't. I don't know what happened there. Just some sweaty teens finger banging each other on a couch that Angus Young's ass was all over. And you know what? That's a good story. Even if this relationship doesn't work out, which I don't think it will. Great story. So we'll again we'll get there. So. The studio, again, to backtrack a little bit, it does have a lot of magic. And I think that played a lot into that scene. And then to kind of flip and go out into that final scene where they're out at the Where's Fluffy concert and they have their altercations. They went from such a safe space to such like a, like a hostile space. And I think that resolution that you were talking about where it seems a little cheesy, it seems a little weird was kind of what we needed to get us back into there. So they gave us the bait and switch there. Like they, they thought that that would be a cute ending, but they find fluffy, which is cool. And then there's an altercation. And then the conflict resolves with them leaving together and going somewhere. They're going somewhere. To, I guess back to New Jersey, back to New Jersey, broken glass capital of America. Where Nick now does not have a car and they still live 30 minutes from each other. You know what though? Uh I'm happy to take this ending where it is. I am Oh yeah, no, no, no. I don't need to know anything else. I'm just <laughs> saying like, so what happens then? That's the magic of Hollywood, man. We don't have to think about that. It's like, it's over. It's done. Go home. Here's the credits. Exactly. It's a Vampire Weekend song. You kids like that. Speaking of Vampire Weekend, the genre of music being like mid-2000s alt-rock type music um, plays a lot into the aesthetical quality and clearly the soundtrack, which sets a lot of the tone in the movie. And kind of gives us an insight into the type of people that they are, or at least the type Mm -hmm. of people that they pretend to be. And... Yeah, how would this movie be different if they had changed the genre? Um, like if they like pop music, or if they liked um, classic I'm, rock. I'm, yeah, I'm thinking something more. Uh, we'll say alternative. Let's let's say hip hop. Let's say that this is a hip hop love story and not an alt rock white teen love story. Well, I guess she's Jewish, but whatever. Um, how would it change? Uh, yeah, do you think, think that, I like, think, I think the core story would stay the same, but the aesthetics would change? Like, so maybe instead of, um, you know, they're hop, I guess they could, it could still take, let's change the setting to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And they're hopping from uh, open mic to open mic, trying to find this one up and coming rapper who, you know, just has these, like, beautiful bars and stuff. Nick is a, um, I, I guess he's a freestyler and that's how he and Nora listens to his uh fire mixtape fire mixtape not to be confused with Azrael, which means the Jewish fire what, what what does that mean um I can't remember what it was it was stupid it was <laughs> whatever
1: stupid. it
0: was it was obviously meant to be horrible oh we bring the Jew fire that's what it is we, we bring, bring the Jew fire and I guess um Nora's dad, can then be, like, Ice Cube, I guess. Oh, all right, I'll buy it. Or something, and he has a studio. So you could still do the same movie in a hip-hop setting. And I think it would structurally be the same, but the aesthetics would be different. You know what? I agree. Uh, You could do country music. That would be a pretty easy one. Imagine it's in Nashville. Uh, You could do... um, you could do, like, I don't know, speed metal, and then it could be in some grungy basement in, like, I don't know, Long speed. Beach. <laughs> Can you imagine the the pungent odor? How, that movie would have a smell. The
1: Just, movie would have a
0: smell. Like, mmm, <laughs> I feel like if I was standing next to Nora, she would smell like uh, sweaty garbage. It, it smells like bratwurst in here, but I don't see a grill anywhere. Ugh. It smells like raw meat. It smells like raw meat in here. Um, Vaporwave. What about Vaporwave? They would be in the 3D clip art sound soundscape. I'm going to make this very clear. If this movie w- featured a Vaporwave soundtrack, it would just be boring. That, that is all it would be. Vaporwave is not a thing. Stop it. You are entitled to that opinion. I'm entitled to being right, and I am. <laughs> i have never been more hurt on a broadcast <laughs> i i don't know i i just i don't think it's music like what is it like what's the point it's plunder phonics but th- you know what i like i've said on other ones we're gonna do music so we'll just save this put a bookmark in it and we'll come back to it later on okay we w- we will fight about this like an old married couple later but anyway so that's the story of nick and Nora's infinite playlist did So, how did you feel about some of the more, like, awkward, like, teenage things in this movie? Like, have you ever watched a movie like that before? I probably have, and I probably don't remember it much. I saw Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, I read Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And that was good, but not teen. Like, they're, like, yes. our age. They're, like, mid-20s. Yes. So, or at least most of them are. I don't know, but Young Neil, he's like I don't know, nineteen, uh, whatever yeah. doesn't matter. So that has a similar feel. It also has Michael Sarah, but I wouldn't call it teen. Um, so I'm kind of drawing a blank on this. I don't know that I have seen anything quite like this before, but I know that they exist. Well, and here's here's my thing that this was kind of a trope in the early 2000s with like these teen comedies or whatever. Like, they act like adults. They do. Like, Nick bought Trish lingerie for her birthday. It's 17, 18 years old, I would have never done anything like that. And I don't know anyone that would have. And you know what? This was in, we'll call it 2007. So this was in 2007. So it's not like you could just hop on the internet and get whatever you wanted, shipped to your house discreetly. Yeah, like you, he, that means he went into a Victoria's Secret and bought this shit. You know what, man? I don't know if it's a cultural difference or if they really are just being written as adults. It's, I think that scene in particular, that felt the least real to me. Just would to it, me. Would it be inappropriate to call this a coming of age story? Um, entirely. <laughs> All, all, all right, I'm, I'm glad you picked up what I was throwing down. I'm glad you were smelling what I was stepping in. Uh, smell, smelling what you were making there. Uh, uh, yeah, well, what she was, she? <laughs> I don't know, man. The, the couch is wet. The couch, the couch is wet. Why is this wet? <laughs> um, but I don't know. I just, I hate that. Like it's like some of it didn't feel very realistic. Like, like I said in the beginning. Where are the parents? Who lets your kid do this? Like, I remember being a kid and, you know, lying to my parents about where I was so I could go into Atlanta for the night. But I would never stay out until the the break of dawn. Yes. Like, how do you even cover that up? I think that maybe the idea is that it's not a perfect reality, but that it is what you kind of wanted. When you were 17, 18, you wanted to be free to pursue these types of things. You wanted to not be held down by the shackles of like, I don't know, your family or your place in society or the people in your life. And that's the one that they really focused on. They focused on the exes. They focused on those types of limitations, the friends that can't you know, hold their liquor or whatever. Those types of limitations are what they chose to conquer rather than sneaking around their parents. I guess so. And I guess that makes it, you know, better, but I would have loved an after-credits scene where they, like, show up at, like, I guess, Nick's house. Like, Mom, I want you to meet my new girlfriend. You're not going anywhere for seven months. Where were you? You know, it would kind of kill the magic. You know what? They could have called him. He had a weird cell phone, probably like an LG Xenon. Or maybe a, a juke. Oh, the juke. Oh, the juke. But anyway, I don't know. That that was kind of my takeaway was just th- none of this is realistic to me and it kind of took me out of it. Interesting. A See, bit. That brought me into it a little more. Was that it wasn't so, I don't want to say mundane, but it also wasn't Hollywood. You know, it wasn't like total glamorous and it wasn't total like grungy reality of living in the city and, you know, I don't know. It, it met somewhere in the middle and kind of gave you the best of both. But the it, characters it, were real. The, the characters, yes, for the most part. I didn't like Caroline. I didn't like some of the uh, the merry band of gay men. Mm. Um, the
1: the uh,
0: the short haired one, particularly Red, is inauthentic to me. Mm. But um, I don't know. It the movie has a certain magic to it. And I still felt that in places from, you know, cause I loved this movie when I was a kid and it was for that magic. Like it just, it felt like, you know, like this is what you really wanted. And so yeah. I get that. And I still felt that a little bit, but I think the adult in me took a little bit of the shine off some of the other parts of the movie. I, I think in particular, the thing that really got me about it, And let me see if you picked up on this. The movie was very stop and go. Like, it was very much, we're going to do this, and then we're going to stop. And now we're going to go again. And now we're going to stop. And now we're going to go again. Like, other than, I think the movie would have been better if they would have just taken Caroline out of it and found a different reason for them to have to stay together through the whole movie. Because that's basically what's tying them together. And, like, when they fight, that's why they have to stay together as Caroline's lost. Well, to me, it seems almost like a point of tension where she is lost and they have the exes and like all of these things are kind of tugging at them in different directions when they just want to come together. So it's like a resolution and it's not a really good like tension resolution in the plot, but it is one. Yeah, but it just feels like, you know, the movie will be moving right along, moving right along and then screeching halt and then it'll pick up pace again a little bit and then it feels like it's going... And then just screeching halt again. And that's what that, that that's my biggest problem with the conflict at the end. The conflict should have came before that ending. Like, I think that Trish should have not met him at the Yugo, but found him at that diner. And Tall follows Nora there because she, you know, screwed him on the bill. And they have this big fight in the diner, and then they all and then Nick and Nora leave. And it's like, can we just go someplace alone together? And then they go to Electric Lady Studios, and then they find out that Where's Fluffy is playing somewhere. Mm. That's how I would have written it. They because- also found out... Hmm? Oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Oh, all I was going to say was they also found out where the clitoris is. <laughs> Chef, where's the clitoris? Oh, no, oh. children. That's not a question for you to ask. Um, so, I think, for me, this movie... Lost a little bit of its shine, but is still a good movie and a really good point-in-time thing. Like, I could show this to my kids, and I feel like they would have no idea what's going on. I agree. Um Having seen, like, we'll say across the universe, I think that this is across the universe put in the mid-2000s. Yes, agreed. And far less romantic, but far more... I want to say realistic to us after the fact, having never lived in the '60s and having have lived in the mid 2000s. Yes, like you know, I felt like with the technology and the lingo, it all felt that felt authentic. Like that felt 2000s
1: because I knew
0: people that either looked. And also the wardrobes were very 2000s. Like I, I knew people that dressed like that. I knew people that talked like that. I knew people who had those cell phones. I knew people who had jazzled cell phones. And I still hate all of you. Oh, you know what? Agreed. <laughs> that was a horrible part of history. Let's not do it again. And you know what? I, I guess every point in history has one. I mean, and across the universe, they were building pipe bombs to throw it. I, I don't, I don't know Republicans. And that's yes, just the general right wing. And then in this movie, they're bejazzling their cell phones. And being mean. Yeah, being mean. Being a real class A dickhead. Exactly. So, do you, do you have anything else to add, John? I liked the movie. I think it was really good. I think it was really charming. I think that, again, mm-hmm. place and time. This is, it's it maybe the best that 2007 ever looked. 2008 so nick north infinite playlist still good might have a little few quirks for you if you're over 18 i would say and if you're under 18 you don't really remember the mid-2000s yeah so this is going to be a history lesson you know what but they're gonna watch this and be like oh yeah mid-2000s kids all the way just like how people like in our age group were like the 90s were the best and we're like yeah you were five when it was over yep exactly why are they listening to the radio to figure out where this band is playing? Why don't they just Google it?
1: Oh, I yeah. want to
0: punch you! Yeah. Oh. I, I hear you. I hear you through the son- through the sonosphere. The wanna sonosphere. Punch? The sonosphere. All right. So I think uh, no question this week, but I think we've um, I think we covered this um, pretty thoroughly. How, do you have anything else to add, John? Well, yeah, I made a cocktail. Ooh, cocktail. Tell yeah. me about it. Okay, so for this one, I tried to blend together a couple different things from the movie into their cocktail counterparts. So this one's called the Nick and Nora Take Manhattan, which is my take on a Manhattan. It's a little bit more sweet. It's got a little bit more to it. Um, and here's how you would make it. So you'll take two ounces of overproof bourbon and one ounce of sweet vermouth there's your Manhattan. And then you'll take three quarter ounce of orange liqueur. So you get like a Cointreau, a triple sec, if you're not rich like me. Uh, And you'll take all that with three dashes of orange bitters, and you're going to shake it with ice uh, for about 30 seconds or so. And then you're going to take a chilled glass. I used a, oh God, what kind of glass did I use? A coupe glass, yeah. I used a coupe glass. I wanted to use a Nick and Nora glass because that is a type of cocktail glass and I wish I had one, but I don't have one right now. So get yourself one of those if you really want the full experience. Uh, Just put one of those in your freezer, take it out, and you're going to strain this into the glass and add one maraschino cherry. Beautiful. Definitely takes a lot of the bite out of a Manhattan because when you drink a Manhattan, you're almost tasting all of those liquors. There's nothing cutting them absolutely which kind of makes a classy cocktail some people it makes it a little hard to stomach for others so it's not for everybody and even this one's going to be pretty boozy but uh it's going to have a little bit more variety of flavors you could say if you wanted to garnish with an orange wheel give you a little something to chew on while you're you know trying to drink this thing um that's great if not i mean i hope you like bourbon i do so (laughs) bourbon on the rocks please Yes, somehow better than a cocktail with bourbon. I, I don't know how that works because a straight up bourbon should be much stronger. Because good bourbon is good bourbon. Guten bourbon. Guten bourbon. Um, and with that, we will leave you until next week for your information. I'm Zach, and I'm John. Thank you
1: very much. Good night.